Hey, everybody, it's Jacob Newton here, professional hockey player and mental health coach, advocate, all of the above. My good buddies over at Sports Epreneur and I did a podcast together about a year ago. And ever since then, we've been keeping in touch, creating content podcasts now. So if anybody out there is interested in doing the same, having their own podcast or want some type of content creation, don't hesitate to reach out to those guys at Sports Epreneur. They are willing and able to help you out. And after listening, don't hesitate in leaving a review. And then you'll get much more access to all of my content across the Sports Epreneur platform. So here we go. We got uh, episode number one coming here. Podcast with Jacob Leslie Newton. And this is just going to be a podcast centered around mental health, mental health in life, and also mental health in sports. So in saying that, I believe that the best way to start this is to begin by sharing my story, my journey around mental health. And that will take me all the way back to the day I was born, September 22nd, 1988 in Mesa, Arizona. From there, shortly after, my younger sister was born 11 months later in Canada, Alberta. And then shortly after that, in an attempt to be closer to my father's mother's illness, we decided to move to California. And around the ages of four or five, my mom's brother had passed away, leaving behind his wife and three kids. But unfortunately, the wife was not fit to be a single mother. So my parents decided to adopt his three children. And in doing so, we brought in three more kids. And we already had a family of five kids, mom and dad, so seven. And so now we've got 10 total. But unfortunately, what my parents didn't know in adopting those three kids is that all three of them had been sexually abused by their uncle. For how long, I don't know exactly. But obviously, you know, now bringing in three victims of sexual abuse, you know, it brought about a different dynamic to our family life. And shortly after that, I myself was sexually abused by one of those cousins, the eldest of the three. He was 16 years old. I was five, six, and seven when this sexual abuse was going on. So for two years of my childhood life, I was experiencing unfortunate sexual abuse. And finally, you know, after two years, thankfully, my oldest sister and her friend had came home one day early and found what was going on. And my parents called the police and the police came and did some talks with me, took my cousin away. And, you know, he went to get counseling and I don't know exactly what, what happened with him, but I do know that he received counseling right away. But unfortunately, you know, from there, my, my parents had a decision to get help for us kids or not to. And unfortunately, at that time, my parents decided to not get any help for us. So I would go through the rest of my young life, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and not dealing with any of this stuff. And, you know, at that age, such a young age, you know, I probably didn't even know how to deal with it other than just maybe just to speak on the experiences that I had gone through. And then I went through my teenage years, moved away from home at such a young age, the age of 15, to go and pursue hockey, moved to Beaverton, Oregon to play. And I would say that that was probably at the height of the depression that I was dealing with at that time, depression and some mood swings. And for one week, every single month for about eight years of my life, I would go through some depression and mood swings and just being very emotional, not myself and not really knowing how to navigate through life. And again, at the age of 15, I was away from home and probably at a time in my life when I needed love the most, I needed family the most, and I didn't have it. I was uh, 1,500 miles away from home and on my own and, and didn't really know how the impacts of the sexual abuse that I had gone through didn't really understand that it was affecting me and affecting me at an extreme level. 
So I moved away again at the age of 15, my junior year of high school, went back home for my senior year to play hockey. And then right away after that, after I graduated high school, I moved away from home again. So now I'm at the age of 17 away from home. And this is where I really started to experiment with an extreme use of alcohol, an extreme use of marijuana, and an extreme use of chewing tobacco. At that time in my my hockey days, we'd have games on Friday and Saturday. And then, you know, immediately after that Saturday night game is when I would start getting into heavy drinking. I would drink Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday nights, recover on Thursday, and then play Friday and Saturday and do it all over again. And I did that for about three years of my life. And also at that time, looking back on it, I was also using sex as a coping mechanism as a way of suppression of not dealing with my emotions, not dealing with my thoughts, my feelings, the fear that I lived with, and went on to have a successful junior career. And I think that was such a big culprit to my forms of coping was that I was still having such high levels of success on the ice. So potentially through that, I didn't see that there was really anything wrong with what I was doing. Again, I was I was partying like crazy. I was a party animal on pretty much every team I played on. But again, I was on the ice and I was successful and I was always one of the best on the teams. So I didn't see any reason for changing what I was doing. After three years of juniors, I went on to commit to play college hockey at Northeastern University. So going into as a freshman, you know, having expectations on myself from the coaching staff, the team went in and had a very successful freshman season, making it on the all rookie team and Hockey East, and everything was great there, and then was fortunate enough to sign an NHL contract with the Anaheim Ducks in the summer of 2010. I mean, it was great. I signed my contract at the end of my college season, went straight to Anaheim for about six, seven weeks, the final six, seven weeks of the season, got to really experience what the NHL life was all about. I come from a family where we didn't have a lot of money. We lived paycheck to paycheck with 10 people in our family. We'd get paid and we would spend it like we just won the lottery and then be right back to pinching pennies on the daily until you know mom and dad got paid again. And I remember that first check I received from the Anaheim Ducks. It was big amounts. It was $60,000. And I saw that and I just was so naive to the fact that that wasn't going to be my life, but I thought it was. You know, Now I've got $60,000 in my bank account, bank account that I had just made, just created. And again, I was so naive and I thought that that was going to be my life. I thought I was going to come in and have a significant impact, significant role with the Ducks. And I was going to play in the NHL for the next 10, 15 years of my life. And uh, fortunately, now looking back on it, you know, it didn't go that way. And I'm fortunate and I'm grateful for that because had it gone that way, who knows where I would be in my life. At the age of 22, I was married at such a young age. And it was in my second year, I had been traded to the Colorado Avalanche. I was in the AHL in Cleveland, Ohio. And things were great to start, but very soon things weren't great. And I had gotten sent down to a team in Allen, Texas, in a league that no longer exists. And from there, you know, my my professional career was not going the way I thought it would. Again, I was I was sent down to a league that no longer exists. And I got right back into the patterns, the habitual patterns that uh, had gotten me to that place of you know my career going from the NHL level to the CHL level. And I got right back into heavy use of of alcohol, of marijuana, of chewing tobacco. And again, like I had mentioned, I was married at that time. And earlier in my junior career, I had played hockey in the same town. So I knew many people there. My now ex-wife decided to just to go home. There was only about a month, month and a half left in the season. So I went by myself. 
And so I made the unfortunate decision at that time to cheat, to step out on my wife. And, you know, shortly after she came down to Allen and she found out everything. And so from there, you know, I, I realized that the decisions that I was making in my life were having an immediate impact on not only myself, but on those closest around me to, to my ex and to my family as well. And so from there, after she found out, I had a pivotal decision to make in my life to continue down the path of self-destruction or go down the path of self-recovery. Unfortunately, I, I made the choice to go down the path of recovery. And that following summer, living at my ex-wife's parents' house, it was one of the most challenging summers of my life. I would be going through therapy two times a week, one with my own personal therapist, and then one with my ex. We would go to couples therapy. And it was great. And I'm fortunate that my ex decided to stay with me. She saw the potential in me that I, at the time, didn't see in myself. But had she not seen it in me, maybe I never would have gone down that path. So anyhow, so we, you know, for the next couple of years, you know, I worked very intensely on my mental health and, and trying to make peace with my past and trying to understand that, you know, that sexual abuse was having such an immediate impact on my present moment and just trying to understand that. So, you know, the next couple of years, my ex and I, we decided to have a kid, my beautiful daughter, Harper Joy Newton, January of 2014. And, and it's a moment in time that has forever changed my life. I'm now a father and it's uh, something I'm so grateful for. I love my daughter so much. And then shortly after, my son was born in, in September of 2015. So now I'm a, I'm a father double time. Got a boy, got a girl now, Nash Yako Newton. He was born in Finland and everything was great. Now I'm, I'm playing in a respectable league again in Finland, the top league in Finland. Got my family with me and there's nothing better in life. And then the following year, wound up playing in the Czech Republic. Things did not go so well that year with my playing. And it was just having an immediate impact on my family life. So from there, my ex decided that she didn't want to come anymore with me to Europe. So then I had to decide to stay at home, get a normal job or continue my playing career. But unfortunately, you know, be away from my family. In the season of 2017-18, I went back to Finland by myself, left my ex and two kids behind. It was a very challenging decision, but one I felt like I needed to do in order to continue to provide them with a good life, myself with a good life financially. But shortly after leaving, a couple months after, a moment in my life I never saw coming, but my ex decided she didn't want to be with me any longer. It was in November of 2017. So here I am now another catastrophic event in my life. I'm, I'm thousands and thousands of miles away from my kids all by myself in, in Finland. I mean, it was such a challenging time. It took me a week to 10 days to, to regain focus. You know, such a big reason for doing what I was doing was completely altered, completely changed with one decision in one second. And it really made me realize that I didn't want to allow any external situation, any external experience to make me feel what I felt on the inside. So from there, I started to go within. And what was great when I think back to the therapy I went through, it was great. It was instrumental in me coming to terms and getting to a level of peace with the sexual abuse that I had gone through. But what was still in control after those years of therapy was my mind, my likes and dislikes, my preferences in life and viewing things as positive or negative, all those things, the mind, the heart was all still in control. I was not really in control of my life. I was quote unquote sleeping zombie like. And so after that moment where my ex decided she didn't want to be with me any longer, I turned within and turned down the path of spirituality and mindfulness and consciousness. And it was hands down the greatest decision I've ever made in my life. 
I read a book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Uh, I've read it now about five times, and that book has forever changed the relationship I have with my mind, with my heart, and therefore with my life. And again, just not allowing any external situation to cause inner tension any longer. I realized that the heart is everything. The heart sends signals to the mind. And if you aren't aware of that, if you aren't aware of your past and the, the impact that it has on your present and therefore your future, you're going to continue to float through life outsourcing your everything, outsourcing your pleasure in life, outsourcing your fulfillment in life and putting the responsibility on your spouse, putting the responsibility on your environment, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your friends on society and thinking that the only way I can be happy internally is if I have X, Y, and Z on the external, meaning an amount of money, a certain job, a house, a car, all these external things that in the end, all they do is just give us an internal feeling. So we're chasing all these external things for an internal feeling. And so once I realized that I could cultivate that inner feeling all the time, I truly realized that, man, I really don't need so many of these things externally that Yes, I, you know, I need a car to get around and, and a house to live in, but it doesn't need to be this super big, nice house. And it doesn't need to be the nicest cars. I just need a car that's going to get me from point A to point B. And I need a roof over my head and that's it. So for anybody out there that's listening to this, my suggestion to you is to go down the path of self-healing. I believe that we all have that power within us to heal ourselves. We just need to give ourselves that space we need to start honoring the emotions that we feel, the thoughts that we experience. I think all too often people are in a state of suppression. They start experiencing some low energy thoughts and it's creating some inner tension, some sadness, some anger, some grief, some sorrow, whatever it may be. But growing up, we were never taught that we can heal these things, right? So all too often we go to forms of suppression. And for myself, it was alcohol, it was marijuana, it was chewing tobacco, it was sex. For other people, it might be very similar things, and it could be other things. You know, I think working out is also another form of suppression. There's many people that out there that look physically great, physically fit, but they're not mentally fit. They use working out as a form of suppression as well, and they start feeling some inner tension. They feel like, oh, I need to go and work out, and if I don't work out, I'm not going to be all right. Other people resort to extreme eating, unhealthy eating habits. Like for myself, like I said, it was alcohol, marijuana, and chewing tobacco. There's many other forms of drugs that people are using. Alcohol is hands down one of the worst drugs, one of the worst things that people do to themselves, do to their minds, and do to their bodies. So again, you know, what I believe is so pivotal for people is to honor all the thoughts and emotions that we feel instead of suppressing to honor them, whether it be, you know, just thinking about where they're coming from or meditation. Meditation has become something that's so pivotal for me in my life to getting uh, more quiet in my mind, more clear in my thoughts and understanding where all these thoughts and emotions are coming from. But if you're not doing that, if you're constantly suppressing these thoughts and emotions, pushing them down, swiping them under the rug, all that's happening is that they're going to come back at a later point in our lives. But every time you push them down, every time you suppress or allowing these thoughts and emotions to create more momentum, allowing them to come back at a later time in our lives, but with much more power. And if you aren't at a level where you're able to stop that, stop that domino from falling, you're going to begin making decisions that are going to have long lasting impact on you and those people closest around you. So I wasn't at a level to where I could stop those things earlier in my marriage. 
And I made the unfortunate decision to step out on my wife. So that's one example right there where instead of dealing with my thoughts and emotions, I was suppressing. I cheated on my wife. And so what happened is it affected me and it affected her. So again, people that are listening to this, I just suggest that we go down that path of self-healing and whatever that looks like for you is going to be different for you. It's going to be different for me. And it's just about experimenting with different tools, experimenting with different things until we find what works best for us. What works for me may not work for you, but it doesn't mean that there's not something out there for you that can help you to cultivate a healthier relationship with your mind and therefore with your life. Again, therapy is great, but I think it's only great to a certain degree, only to a certain level. Again, for myself, I went through those years, but my mind was still calling all the shots. I was still asleep. I was still zombie-like, but now I've got so much passion, so much joy, so much gratitude for life, and I'm able to see the beauty in all things and in all people. I've gone to a beautiful place of self-love. I love myself unconditionally. I realize that I am still human and I am going to make mistakes, but that's just a part of life, and I'm able now to learn from those mistakes and understand where they come from and how to not make those same mistakes again in life. So anyhow, I hope that you know my vulnerability will help you to open up and be vulnerable with yourself and potentially with those around you. This podcast is going to be for mental health, and I hope that I can help bridge the gap for you and for anybody listening and realizing that, yes, you may not have so many people in your life that are willing to listen, but I am here for you and I will always be here for you. You can always reach out to me on Instagram at jake.newton5. I'm also on LinkedIn. Just search Jacob Newton. So anyhow, that's going to be it for episode one. I thank you so much for listening. I look forward to doing many more episodes in terms of just this, but also trying to get other people on. You know, I'm working as a mental health coach. I look forward to bringing on some of the clients that I work with and hearing about their stories. And again, I believe it's so powerful once we go down that path of healing to share unconditionally, share, get it out on social media, however it is. But I believe that there are people out there that need to hear my story, that need to hear your story. We are a global population where I believe mental health is the number one epidemic. It's not all these illnesses and sicknesses and flus and viruses going around. It's mental health and trying to cultivate a healthy relationship with ourselves. Anyhow, that's going to be it for episode number one. Again, thank you so much for listening. I love you all. Have a grateful day. <laughs>